0: Welcome to BDO Talks ERISA, a monthly podcast from BDO's ERISA Center of Excellence. Each month, we will be talking best practices around all things ERISA, how to avoid common compliance issues, how to navigate the tricky ins and outs of ERISA's fiduciary provisions, and discussing our own experiences working for BDO's ERISA Services Group, and the insights we share through the ERISA Center of Excellence. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Let's get started.
1: Welcome to another podcast for BDO Talks Arissa. I'm Beth Garner, National Practice Leader for our Employee Benefit Plan Audit Group and a partner at BDO. We're excited to have you join us today. Joining me on the podcast today is David Friedman. He is the founder and CEO of High Performing Cultures, LLC. Uh, David was previously president of an award-winning employee benefits brokerage and consulting firm. While being president of the firm, David created a culture that included a collection of 30 behaviors, which were known as the RSI Fundamentals. Now, fast forward through selling that business and leaving the firm to when David pursued his passion for speaking and writing. So, in 2011, He published his first book, Fundamentally Different, which is based on the insights he learned and taught throughout his leadership career. Now, in 2015, David joined forces with former marketing executive Sean Sweeney to create high-performing culture. In just a few short years, they've created an entire suite of tools and products, including a powerful mobile app around the methodology that David first created at RSI. They've also built and trained an inside team of senior consultants and certified a cadre of, of independent consultants, bringing this transformative material to hundreds of companies across the entire spectrum of industries. What a fabulous bio right there! Well, now, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now with the release of Culturewise, and that's where Culturewise comes from, a platform in 2020. He, you know, David has. Packaged his concepts, content, and tools in a way that's accessible and affordable for companies of any size and in any industry. And of course, that's what companies want to hear something that is easy um, to access and, of, of course, affordable. We're so delighted to have you join us today. And we do have like a little bit of a thing that we try to do fun is we do ask you to share something about yourself that could be business, personal you know, whatever you would like to share with us, Dave.
2: So you want to start there? Sure. Well, let's see. Every year I go with my adult daughter who's in her 20s and we try to do a father-daughter trip somewhere. So two years ago, three years ago, we went to Machu Picchu and we hiked the Inca Trail together um, and in Peru. And uh, two years ago, we went to uh, Africa and we climbed Mount Kilimanjaro together, which was a fun thing to do.
1: Wow. Okay, and when your
2: twenty-something-year-old so, daughter wants to do something with you, still as an adult, you go.
1: That's major. I, I I think the same thing about um. I have twin boys and they're fifteen. So if they pretty much ask me, you know, to do anything, I'm gung ho because I know I say Absolutely. I'm gonna lose them one day. So I totally get where you're yes. coming from on that subject. Okay. So personally, you're so um productive, and then professionally, I mean, two books is major. I'm jealous. I wish I had that talent.
2: Well, you know how you write a book, Beth? You sit down and you write it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's literally that. There are so many people who say, I wish I could write a book. And the way you get to write a book is you sit down and you start writing and you get it done and you make it happen. You know, I think of Nike's old slogan, just do it. There's mm-hmm. a lot of truth to that. You just do it. You sign up and you, you sit down and you write.
1: All right, I might have to put a sticky note on my desk. Just do it.
2: Sorry, I didn't leave you any excuses there. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you didn't. You didn't. So on your website, you have a title under um, About Us, I think, or, or somewhere, and it says um, Culture, the Competitive Edge in a Commoditized World. And that's under you know the Why Culture Matters tab. I know in our business, audit is so commoditized that I do, I mean, 100%. Uh, agree with you that that is the competitive edge is connecting with people in that culture and people you know doing something that's bigger than themselves so that's my plain jane english um expand on why you think you know that is this this competitive edge
2: it's a great question beth so what i would say is that most of us very few people the very few people that this doesn't apply to almost all of us are in commoditized businesses that whatever we say makes us so special isn't all that different from anybody else you know there are workshops i do for ceos and sometimes when i'm in a workshop i'll start by asking people all right tell me your name your company introduce yourself and tell me what's your primary competitive advantage in other words why if i was a potential customer and i was thinking about buying from you instead of everybody else i could buy from why would i choose you And I get the lamest answers, you know, well, you know, well, we're, we really care about our customers. So do you think all your competitors don't care about their customers or we listen to them and we customize a solution just for them? So do you think your, your competitors just force feed feed the same thing down everybody's throat? No, or they'll tell we have, how about this? You'll see this a lot. We have 127 years of accumulated experience. Well, I couldn't care less. That could be 120 people with one year. Um, So that doesn't mean anything to me. And whatever, and I often say to them that whatever you told me makes you special. If I were to invite your competitors in the room and ask them the same question, they'd probably give me the same answer. So very few of us really have something that is different from everybody else. And certainly you're an auditor. I mean, okay, do you do do your audits different than everybody else? No, it's the same stuff. So in that kind of a commoditized environment where we all look basically the same, where do we go to to, for differentiation? Well, the biggest opportunity we have for differentiation is our people. It's not what they do. It's the way they do it, the way that they, the pride they take in their work, the way they treat customers, the way they respond to people, the way they work together and collaborate. That's the biggest advantage we have. And the interesting thing about this, Beth, beyond the fact that that's the, the single probably the only real remaining competitive advantage that most of us have. The interesting thing about this is that it's also the most sustainable competitive advantage, because even if, if let's just say for for argument's sake, that you have something unique, that you have a product or a service that nobody else in your marketplace has, that's wonderful. But how long do you think that's going to last? I mean, your competitors aren't all stupid. And they're going to copy what you're doing. And it will typically take them a fraction of the time and resources that it took you to create it. That's how long it'll take them to copy it. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, it's great to have a competitive advantage like that, but that's a short term window of opportunity. And to think that you're going to every year come out with some new product or service that nobody else has, unless you're Apple, you're not likely to pull that off. And most of us aren't Apple. So, but if you could get your people to be better than your competitors' people, Again, in the way that they work together and the way they work with customers and the way that they do their work, if you could somehow get that to happen, not only would that be the biggest competitive advantage, but it's the most sustainable because it's the hardest one to copy because it's all based on the culture of your organization. Your culture is the single biggest thing that affects how people show up and do what they do every day. So I don't know if there's anything you could work on that would have more impact working on your culture. I I often say that, and I don't mean this as a disrespect to our HR folks who are listening to this, but I say that culture isn't an HR topic. It's a strategic and financial topic. It's about creating competitive advantage in a commoditized world.
1: I agree. And so how do you get CEOs to understand the importance of that culture where, you know, they are busy with where it be M and A or you know whatever is going on. I mean, a lot of it is is we're we're all having crazy amounts of resignations and turnover and you know trying to stay relevant in a COVID environment. How do you get those CEOs to to look at this culture and say, all right, we've got to work on this?
2: You know, it's interesting, Beth. The answer to that has changed, and what I mean when I say that is. It used to be the case that understanding that culture was important was more unusual rather than normal. And I would tell you right now, it's pretty normal. So I mentioned I do these these leadership workshops, and I used to start years ago, I would often start a workshop explaining to CEOs why culture was so important. These days, one of the things that I'll often do is as a starting point is I'll say, all right you know, let's, let's just be honest. Let's cut through the BS. Let's be really honest here. Is this culture stuff, a bunch of fluff, or does it really matter? Like, why should we even bother talking about it? And then I just shut up and I let the CEOs tell me why it's so important. And you should see how animated many of them get. It's the most important thing in my company. It's, it's our number one priority. And that wouldn't have happened five or 10 years ago. But these days, I would tell you that most CEOs would agree that it's really important, but there's a big difference between agreeing that it's really important and knowing what to do about it. So they would all say, yeah, it's really important, except most of them don't even know what it is or what to do about it. So yes, right. my culture is vital. Yeah. Right, and, 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 and it's what?
1: funny because that's <laughs> literally my next question is, okay, now you get them, you get them to agree and okay, well, where do you go from there? Well,
2: the, you know, then what I want them to see is I want them to see that not only is it important, but that we should see it as a core business process, not as some fluffy thing where, you know, we have a ping pong table in the reception area, or we have pizza every Friday that it's much bigger than that. And one of the ways that I do that a lot of different ways that I do that, but one of the ways that I do that just to kind of shift the paradigm for them a little bit is I'll ask them, uh, I'll, I'll say, all right. So if we were to look at how important culture is, on a one to five scale in terms of its impact on the bottom line with one being, it's not that big a deal. Five is no, it has a really big impact on the bottom line. I'll ask the the CEOs in a room, where would you rate culture on that one to five scale? And I go around the room and I call on everybody and most people will give it a five. I'll usually have like a couple of fours and I always have somebody who gives it like a seven on a one to five scale. So they get that this is really important. And then I do this little thing where I ask them, all right, so how many of you in this room have some kind of an annual, st- and your listeners, you can think about this for yourselves. How many of you in this room have some kind of an annual strategic plan that identifies you know, your company's targets, your 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 most important initiatives that you need to accomplish as a company this year? And most of them will raise their hand. Of course, they have that. And I'll ask them, all right, so how many of you have some kind of a written Documented uh, sales plan that identifies this year's targets, your quotas, your goals. How are you going to hit your revenue numbers this year? Most of them have that. And I'll ask them. Well, I'm assuming that everybody here has some kind of a, a financial plan, a budget, a forecast. You know, you're not running your company without that. And of course, they all do. And then I ask them. Here's the real question: How many of you have some kind of a written, documented culture plan for how you're systematically creating and driving the culture of your company? typically less than 10% of them will have that. And I say to them, well, that's kind of interesting. So if I got this right, you just told me that this was a five in terms of its impact on the bottom line. And most of you are just kind of winging it, hoping it's going to work out. That would be like looking at our finances and, and saying, ah, we don't need that budget thing. That's That's overrated. Who needs that? And if we didn't have a budget or a forecast, that doesn't mean that we wouldn't still be trying to bring in as much revenue as we could, of course, we'd be doing that. And and it doesn't mean we we wouldn't be trying to manage our expenses, but are the chances that we hit our numbers would be a heck of a lot better if we had some plan we were managing to than if we didn't. And yet, when it comes to culture, we say it has this huge impact on the bottom line and most don't have a plan. And when I ask them, well, why is that then? Most of them, I'd say there's two things I find. One is that most of them just never thought about it that way. They saw culture as a squishy, soft, touchy-feely kind of thing, and not as a hardcore business thing. And so they just haven't considered it. For those few who have considered it, they don't know what to do. Okay, yeah, I I get it. We should be really systematic about this. Now what? Nobody's really seen much of a methodology we have mm-hmm. methodologies for finances and strategic planning and operations and distribution, but there isn't really much of a methodology for most people about culture. And that's what I want them to say.
1: And so what type of changes or updates did you see, you know, with people that you work with from hey, we went from working in an office, which is, you know, where you were talking about ping pong tables and 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 lunch. And that was an easier touch point. Yes. Where now a larger percentage, I'm not saying 100%, but a larger percentage, absolutely, we're all working from home. And I can see where it's harder that, you know, we don't have a ping pong table,
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know, those kinds of things. So so what are you seeing in the change of that culture plan for now this hybrid work environment?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Beth. So here's here's what I see. There's a dynamic that I have observed as companies grow, and I'm going to describe this dynamic and then help you see how this is connected to the remote work environment. So the dynamic that I've seen as companies grow is that when a company is small, and I'm, when I say small, 5, 10, 15, 20 people, when a company is of that size and somebody starts the company, to a degree they could get away with not being that systematic about culture because you know they're all there together and the leader is there and the leader he or she is setting the example and just by being around her as the leader, everybody says, oh yeah, well I get it. Then they they just absorb by osmosis practically the example that's being set by leaders. And that's good enough to you know get the idea of culture. But as the company grows and it goes from 15 or 20 people to 50, or 100, or 300, or it makes an acquisition or two, or it opens up multiple offices. All of a sudden, you know, everybody's not seeing the leader anymore. There's just too many people or too many locations. And if they don't have something that's more systematic to drive their culture, they become at significant risk of losing the things that they were always so proud of that made them so special when they were smaller. So this dynamic, I've watched this over and over again. The reason I raise this is, the pandemic has forced that on everybody. So whether you're small, medium, or large, when people started going remote or hybrid, all of a sudden, we lost the the personal connection that happened when people were together. so if you were if you, as a company were relying on physical proximity as the primary way for people to to absorb the, or to learn, absorb, and and figure out the culture just by being together, well, that isn't happening anymore because we're not together anymore. And so you're going to be at again at serious risk if you don't have something more systematic about how you create and drive your culture. And so the, it really underscores the point that we have to look at our culture as a core business process. And we should have a we should have a culture operating system. We should have a methodology that's systematic for how we purposely, intentionally create and drive and embed the culture we want and not just hope or rely upon. Oh, we all saw each other and we kind of figured it out along the way.
1: Right. So on your website, you, you talk about rituals Mm -hmm. and, and those being the key to making all of this last. Can you start, you know, just dive into rituals and what you mean by that and,
2: and how that works. Sure. So, Uh, Let me define first of all, what is a ritual and then explain why the concept of rituals is so important and then how you can apply that to culture. So a ritual in the way that I use that word is some routine, a behavior that you do over and over again. You might think of it as a habit. So simple examples of rituals, we go to a ball game and it's traditional. We sing the national anthem before the game starts. You get up in the morning, you brush your teeth. Some people before a meal, they say a prayer. When I was a kid in school, we used to say the Pledge of Allegiance every morning. They're routines. And the reason that rituals are so important, just in, in, forget culture for a moment, just in behavior, is that most humans are not very good at sticking with things. In other words, we come up with all kinds of great ideas, whether it's personally the diet and exercise program that we're gonna do that doesn't last, Or corporate-wide, the initiative that we've all participated in that became another flavor of the month because two months later, we got really busy. So it's just our nature that we're not good at sticking with things. When something becomes a ritual, however, it is no longer difficult to do. It just becomes baked into how we operate. So for example, I mentioned before, we'll get up in the morning, we brush our teeth. Most people don't struggle with this unless they're an eight-year-old but most adults don't struggle with this. They don't sit there and say, God, I just, oh, I don't feel like brushing my teeth today. I did it yesterday, but I don't really feel like doing it. It's not a struggle, it's just, it's almost a non-thinking automatic thing you do. And the reason that, while that's a silly example, the reason that's so important is that's how it lasts. If it required you to to fight in your, if you have this internal debate with yourself about whether you're gonna do it and overcome this inertia about it, it wouldn't last but when it just becomes second nature, that's just what we do around here, that's what makes it last. So that's why rituals are so foundational to the success of any long-term initiative. Now, how do we use that concept as it relates to culture? So what I teach people is that the the starting point of building a culture is that we've got to be able to define what we want our culture to be as clearly as possible because We obviously can't create the culture if we don't know exactly what we're trying to create. And so the first step in doing that is what I call defining behaviors. Now, let me just give you your audience just a brief distinction here between most of your audience members have in their companies created some set of core values that are on their walls and on their website, et cetera. And so let me define the difference between, well, what is a value and what is a behavior and why does that matter? And then I'll show you how we use rituals to to operationalize this. So a value is typically an abstract concept, quality, integrity, loyalty, service, respect, et cetera. A behavior is an action. It's something people do. So some of the behaviors I teach in my company are things like honor commitments. That's something you do. Practice blameless problem solving. Get clear on expectations. Be a fanatic about response time. These are actions. So, a value is typically an abstract idea, a behavior is an action. The reason that's important is that the problem with many companies' traditional looking core values is that they tend to be so abstract that they mean too many different things to different people and they become hard to operationalize behaviors because they're action oriented are easier to teach and coach and guide and give people feedback about it's very difficult to coach somebody about their values but i could coach them all day long about what i see them doing or not doing so the first thing we need to do is to define culture much more clearly than typically is done by defining a set of behaviors that that are the standards for how we operate here. And and I I call those behaviors, it's just my own nomenclature. I call them fundamentals because they're fundamental to success. So once we have this set of fundamentals, now I'm gonna tie in this ritual concept you're asking about. So what we do is we take these fundamentals and we begin to focus on one each week through a series of rituals. So week number one, everybody in the organization in every department, every location, hybrid, remote, in-person, all week long, we're thinking about working on focusing on fundamental number one through a series of rituals. And I'll give you an example in just a moment. The week after that, everybody across the whole company is focused on fundamental number two. And the week after that three and four and five and whatever number we have at the end of the list, we go back to the beginning and we repeat the process over and over and over again forever. So, Let me give you an example to to make this more concrete for people. So one of the rituals that I do in my company and pretty much all of our clients is every meeting that we have in our company, whether it's a project team meeting, a department meeting, a leadership meeting, even a Zoom meeting. If we're in in a meeting, every one of those meetings this week, the first agenda item of the meeting is the fundamental of the week. And we spend the first three to five minutes talking about it. So in my company, our fundamental of the week this week is called look ahead and anticipate. It's about constantly being proactive and anticipating what needs might occur and dealing with them in advance. So every meeting of any kind, everywhere in my company this week, we kick off the meeting with a few minutes discussion about looking ahead and anticipating. We don't want to take over the meeting, just a few minutes, but every meeting everywhere starts with that that gives us a lot of chances to teach and work on and practice and focus on that fundamental. Next week, every meeting will start with next week's fundamental and so on. So that's just one example of a ritual. There are many rituals companies practice, but it's this repetition when it becomes baked in that this is what we do all the time, that's what makes it last. If we were to say, hey, let's let's try to remember once in a while to talk about this, we would get busy. Life would get in the way and we wouldn't do it. But if we say this is just what we do around here, that's what makes it last. That's why rituals are so powerful and so important to success in anything.
1: I holistically agree, where I have tried to set certain rituals on starting my day and closing down my day. So mm-hmm. it takes less and less, like you said, we don't say, Oh, I've got to I gotta brush my teeth. I'm I'm creating a ritual for myself so that I know in my you know, daily startup or my daily, um, and that's personal and professional, that yes. that is what I do. And then it takes away that decision making and forcing yourself.
2: Exactly. Now, th- th- there's a, a, a uh, I'll give you just sort of two thoughts about that. I think you're right on, Beth. Uh, first on, I, I, I've been, um I've, I've been working out every morning for about 47 years now, and um it's not hard to do. It's just what I do. It's, it's such a routine that I don't wake up in the morning and think, oh, I don't know. Should I do it? It's kind of raining out. I don't feel like it. I didn't get enough sleep. I don't even think about it. It's just, that's just what I do. And so when you take to your point, when you take the decision out of it, it's just what we do. That's what makes it last. I, one of the things that I, I talk about with people often is that rituals in a weird kind of way, but this will make sense when I explain it. Rituals replace the need for discipline. And what I mean when I yes. say that, is that I define discipline as the ability to get yourself to do what you know you should do when you don't feel like doing it. So that that self-talk, oh, I don't feel like working out. Mm-hmm. Oh, I really got to. And you debate with yourself, your ability to overcome that you know, laziness or whatever and fight with yourself and I'm gonna do it anyway, that's discipline. It is very hard to sustain that over a long period of time for a short period of time. You know, you're thinking, all right, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to exercise every day because I signed up for that 5k in three months and I want to make sure that I can do it or I wanted to lose weight or whatever the reason for a short period of time, that goal is sufficient motivation to overcome the inertia and win the battle in your brain but that just, that has a high psychic cost. There's a lot of work, a lot of emotional work in fighting the battle and overcoming the laziness. And you're just not going to do that for years and years and years when something becomes a ritual, you don't have to have the fight anymore. It's, It's just what I do. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to think about brushing my teeth or doing a workout. It's just what I do. So when it becomes a ritual, that's what makes it sustainable. Instead of just trying to rely upon discipline, because it's just not a long-term formula for for ninety nine percent of people.
1: Okay, so I'm gonna back up there, and we're almost out of time. But sure, I would love for you to expand on. Okay, so here are these rituals, and mm-hmm. you have have the weekly stuff. So when you were bringing on all of these new employees and 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 onboarding them, how do you suggest these companies go about? introducing the culture in in their first few weeks
2: and so got it so, so culture is is one of the most important things people need to learn right from the beginning and ideally you are sitting across the table ideally with the highest ranking person in the company spending time talking about what is our culture if you've got a set of fundamentals as i do what are our fundamentals how do we practice them why is this important to us that we need to teach that to people, new people especially, and not assume that they're going to somehow magically figure it out because who knows what they're going to get. In my first company, uh, we had a little over 100 people, and every new person we hired went through a very structured, we call it integration process. It's what many people call onboarding. And I met as the CEO with every one of those people on the first morning of their employment, on the first day of the first morning, I spent two hours with every single new employee talking about our culture, our fundamentals, what's important to us, why is this important? Because I don't want them to try to figure it out on their own, that the sooner I capture them, the better. These days, we actually start integrating people before their first day. So we give them an introduction to our culture, an e-learning course that we build for them, that we have them do before they show up. Because I want to start brainwashing them. And I say that in a positive way. I want to start brainwashing them as early as I possibly can. The longer I wait to teach them that culture, the greater the chance that they will have picked up some other impressions that aren't what I necessarily want. So we as leaders need to take control, especially at the beginning of orchestrating everything about a new person's experience.
1: But what would your, you know, and, Advice be to somebody like the size of BDO that okay. obviously Wayne Burson cannot stop and meet with everybody that that we're on onboard, onboarding. How do, how do we get it out that way to a massive company?
2: Yeah, so in a massive company, um, let me give you an example. Uh, Ritz Carlton. So Ritz Carlton has forty thousand people. They have a very systematic integration process that's twenty one days long that every single employee goes through. At each of their locations and they're uncompromising about it in other words nobody is allowed to start until they've completed the 21 day process it doesn't matter how desperate we are it doesn't matter how eager we are to get somebody started how short-staffed we are all the usual excuses nobody is allowed to start until they go through the formal integration process so it may not be the CEO who's able to do it, but it's the, the leader who is most proximate to that location okay. um, who would do it. But I would say that the, the larger point Beth is that you need to have a structured way that you orchestrate a new person's experience and every single person goes through it without fail. You can't compromise on that. If you want to be successful.
1: This topic is near and dear to my heart, and I'm telling you, I really enjoyed having you today. We just really scratched the surface, so anybody that wants to go, go Google CultureWise. Um, It's CultureWise.com, and I researched and looked, and I enjoyed your website. It is very easy to use. We greatly ap- appreciate your insight on the topic. Thank you for having us to uh, coming on today. And My remember, pleasure. you can contact the podcast at BDO Talks Arissa at BDO.com. This gets um, you know onto our website and it gets posted onto our BDO Arissa Center of Excellence. And to let everyone know, our BDO Arissa Center of Excellence on BDO.com touches all topics retirement and other HR trends to keep
0: plan sponsors and HR professionals up to date.
2: It's a pleasure to be with you, Beth.
0: Thank you for listening to BDO Talks Arissa. Past episodes are available at bdo.com slash bdo talks Or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate, review and subscribe. You can also send us feedback, questions or ideas you have for future topics at bdo at bdo.com. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. For more information on BDO's Arissa Center of Excellence and the services we provide, visit bdo.com/arissa.